We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. All right, hello everybody, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. Now, we're obviously not in our normal locations here. Uh, for those of you who are truly living under a rock, we're, we're under the, the whole self-quarantine type stuff because of the COVID-19. And Dan, you actually just returned from overseas, didn't you? Yep, we left Jerusalem Friday. And as uh, Jed was talking about one of his friends, it was virtually a ghost town. The airport at Tel Aviv was uh, almost empty. Man. And uh, it's really weird. But yes, we just got back to our house on Sunday. Yeah. Well, glad you made it back. And so we're going to try to put together a little video of something related to your trip. Uh, we always get a lot of questions in about this subject, and it just seemed to be an appropriate time. So... Because of distance and everything, it may look different, but we're going to still try to cover a question here today. So the question we want to cover today, Dan, is, is there benefit to a Christian traveling to and exploring the modern nation of Israel and the kind of places around it? Absolutely. Um, when you go there, and especially if you travel around the country, uh, you get a sense of the geography of the place. You get a sense of where everything is located. Um, you have the real pictures of the real places in your mind. Mm. Um, you get the eight biblical stories to every place you go. And, um, of course, um, well, it's just, just anything. You can only see a fraction yeah. of what's there each time you go. I was going to say, this like is two weeks this time. This is your second time to go, right? Yes. And the second time I went, a lot of things that I saw the first time I went were made a lot clearer and reinforced and hmm. also saw a lot of new things. So it's extremely valuable to anyone that wants to go. But, of course, you can't go now because Israel has closed its borders to all foreigners. Yeah, we, we actually had another group come to our building. They knew we had some members traveling to Israel, and they were asking us questions about whether they should go and how to go. And we were like, well, you may not have any choice here in a day or two. And turns out, yeah. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride with all of that. Now, you talked about on a personal level, there's some great benefit to it, kind of related to that. You know, people are associating a trip to Europe with a lot of people talk about having to take pilgrimages different places. Is there ever anything in the Bible that really says that a Christian can connect more deeply and they need to visit these places? I mean, as like a biblical need, sort of. No, there's nothing said about that for Christians. However, there's extensive things said about that for people under the Mosaic Covenant mm. in Judaism. Yeah. Because they had to go 
uh, three times a year. And of course, um, uh, that was part of the Mosaic Law in Jerusalem itself was the place of their pilgrimage because it was designated by God as a holy city. Mm. Ah, okay. So if it was the holy city, and nowadays it's very common, you know, and we heard it from different people around here when they were talking about y'all being gone, they would say, oh, people are going to visit the holy lands. And then there were some people that would really bristle at that term. You know, so... In a sense, were you going to visit the Holy Lands, or were you just going to visit Israel and historical sites around the area? The word holy, when it's all taken theologically, boils down to this. It means something that has been designated by God. Mm. And uh, in the time of Abraham, God promised that that land to Abraham and he said in Genesis chapter 12, blessing in Genesis 12, verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. Mm. So God designated that land as a heritage for Abraham. Okay. Then in Genesis 15, uh-huh. when God um, gave a promise and blessing to Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham that they would leave the land and be enslaved for 400 years. And in verse 16, that in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here to the land of Canaan. So, right. of course, that was after the Israelites were delivered from bondage. So it was designated by God as a holy land for the descendants of Abraham. Testament. Okay. Now, about Jerusalem itself, as time went by and after the conquest of Jerusalem, um, Deuteronomy, right before Joshua went over into the land, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 12, verse 5, designated a special place in the Holy Land, and that place was Jerusalem. Mm. And uh, he said in to the place which I shall choose, which the Lord your God shall choose among all your tribes to put his name there. Yeah. Even to that place you're going to bring your peace offerings. Yeah. So even in the law of Moses, God chose that place, even though he hadn't specified what place. He said there would be a place chosen. And, uh, of course, Jerusalem was there before God chose it as a holy place. It was actually an ancient Canaanite city. Hmm called Ir Shalom. Ir means city. Shalom means peace. So if you say that together, Ir Shalom, that's Jerusalem. Yeah, the city of the peace. The meaning of the word, but in, in Genesis, yeah, city of peace. In Genesis 14, when Abraham had rescued Lot, mm-hmm. and he came back from Potter of Kings, he met a priest named Melchizedek. Yes. And Melchizedek was of Salem, which is the city of Salem, the city of peace. He was actually the king of ancient Canaanite Jerusalem. Oh. And he was also a priest of Most High. Furthermore, Brother Jed, in Genesis 22, everybody knows the 
of when God told Abraham to go to the mountain of Moriah uh-huh. and offer his son Isaac on that mountain. Right. But Mount Moriah, where Abraham almost offered Isaac, I prepared a ram as a substitute. Mm-hmm. That mountain is the very place which was chosen by God of the temple. Oh. In First Chronicles chapter twenty-one. Right. First after David's army defeated Absalom and his rebellion. Uh huh. There was a great plague sent upon Israel. Yep. And David found himself on Mount Moriah at the threshing floor of Arauna. And I told him at that site to build an altar. And so he bought that site from Arauna the Jebusite. Mm-hmm. And at the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of First Chronicles 22, he said the altar of the Lord is going to be right there mm. at that spot yeah that's when god chose the site for all the burnt offerings and peace offerings etc on mount moriah which yeah. is temple mount jerusalem okay and it is after that that god gave david the plans for the t- his son solomon built the temple on that site and mm. it was definitely the place god chose it was a holy place yeah. at that time so, so I mean, it's pretty clear that that was the holy site and the holy lands, the holy city, all these different things in the Old Testament for those living under the law. So I guess the question is, in today's day and age for a Christian, you know, under the new covenant, you know, post-Jesus resurrection sort of life, is it still a holy site or is it simply a place of, you know, historical interest? Well, Jesus himself answered that question in John chapter 4. Okay. And he was talking with the woman as well about the place where people should worship. Mm -hmm. And he said that the time was coming that neither in Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans were worshiping, Mm -hmm. uh, or in Jerusalem would people worship the Father, but... People could worship anywhere as long as they worshiped in spirit and in truth. Yeah. So Jesus said God would no longer consider that to be the holy place where people would worship. He also promised to build a new temple in John chapter 2, about verse 18. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it. John 2, verse 22 or so, he said he said this, or maybe verse 20, he said, this he said concerning the temple of his body. Yeah. About the church. Yeah, 18 to 22 so is church, that section. built out of living stones is the, the holy temple of God, and it's not attached to a place today. Mm. So the land and the place no longer designated as holy because God's word and his covenant, his new covenant, is not tied to a place. Yeah. So it's 
It's like you personally can go and gain a lot of insight and appreciation and you can connect kind of with the history of all the great people that have been there, but it's not necessarily like going to give you some extra spiritual, I don't know, some extra credits in heaven sort of thing for getting there and being in a special place any longer. Right. We, we found a lot of people there that were making pilgrimages and they would go to this side of the crucifixion or resurrection and um, they would bend down and kiss particular stones and mm. uh, they would feel like there was great blessing from being in that place it certainly gives you a strange and wonderful feeling to be in those places there's no question about that but um, modern Jerusalem is coveted by all kinds of people in mm-hmm. the old city of Jerusalem you'll find Muslims from all kinds of countries. Yeah. Because their blue mosque, the Dome of the Rock, is built right on top of the site of uh, the temple when Jesus was there. Right. And um, to them, to the Palestinians and the Arabs of all nations, it is their third most holy place in the whole world. Mm. Also, there are Christians, uh, the generic kind of Christians from all over the world, who go there, and of course we ran into uh, Chinese Christians and Colombian Christians, Mexican Christians and Russians and every other type of person. Yeah. Um, the Jews, of course, uh, have a he- population in that land. Yeah. And since 1947, have fought for that land as as their land. Yeah. Um, at the West Wall, where they all go to pray. It's a hodgepodge of, of people, and the, and many Jews are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually went under the city to the western wall of the temple and one of the ancient gates, and yeah. there were Jewish women that were up against the wall, and they were just praying as yeah. a hope spot to them. Hey, but I'm that gonna, city... I'm going to pause real quick, just because of technical stuff. I need to make sure, because we're not recording the same way, so I'm going to pause real quick, and then you sent me a couple of pictures, and one of them being there of the wall, and I want to jump back in with, with that discussion. So just one second. Okay. So we're back up and running, and we were talking about the, the Western Wall. You were talking about that experience of going towards that section of the temple, okay? And you sent me a picture, and I'll I'll put drop that into the video so everyone can kind of see the perspective that you were sending. There's all these people going up to it, and maybe people have seen videos of it before, but what was that experience like seeing the crowds of people all spending time at this one section of wall? Well, it's a, it's part of the wall of the Temple Mount. And First um, Kings chapter 6, 7, uh, Solomon prayed, and in Solomon's great prayer, he talked about uh, God's people praying toward his temple, praying toward that place. Mm-hmm. That's likely the reason why these people feel so compelled to pray toward where the ancient temple was standing oh. on that western wall. And, um, of course, um, God said in Isaiah 66 that no house could contain him. Mm. And that um, he also said in the first chapter of Isaiah and the seventh chapter of Jeremiah that... Um, Prayers are useless unless it comes from the right kind of heart. 
but people are intent. That that plaza there is massive. I don't know how many is in that plaza, but it's yeah. filled with Jews, particularly and Christians, but a lot of different kinds of Jews from all over the world. Uh, the very Orthodox Jews are often in that place in great numbers, and uh, there's many, there's Russian Jews, there's Eastern and Jews, there's Israeli Jews, there's, mm -hmm. there's Jews from all parts of the world that go there and they pray toward that place, probably because of what it says in, in Solomon's prayer in the book of Kings. But uh, many Christians have been caught up into that idea that it's, it's uh, some kind of a holy hotline prayer place, but as we've talked before, it's not. And it's not any better to put a note in that wall than it is to mm. just cry out to God in your own room because um, it's true worshipers in any place that can pray today. Yeah, and that's there's a lot of people that were considering whether to go to the wall to pray or to put the pieces of paper in and different things. And, and it's that sort of is, I guess if it's a, you just want to feel connected to something, you know, but is there anything that, I guess if you start to put more trust in that connection than the connection you have every day, is that maybe the, the point when most people would start yeah, to flinch a, a bit? It's a form of idolatry. Mm. Yeah, it's a form of idolatry, which we really need to shy away from. And Jesus said, go in your closet and pray to your father in secret, and he hears you. So there's, you know, you need to realize that God is not in any particular place. Yeah. And he's certainly not. And one of the things that is really weird about that is you're walking around that place, and right above that place is one of the holiest Muslim sites, the Dome. Yeah, yeah. Which is on the ancient temple. I was you have say to go through separate security to get into that Palestinian-controlled yeah. place. And I would imagine that and, uh, while you're you there... Oh, sorry. Connection issues. I would assume while you're there at the wall seeing all the people praying... You can probably hear like the calls to prayer that are happening throughout the day at the same time. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, is that the minarets are everywhere, and you're walking below the temple, and they can—they're calling out in very loud voices. You know, hmm. the Muslim prayers, and there are Muslim villages built up the sides of the hill right out, and every several hundred yards there's another minaret and they're calling out the prayers so it's very ironic that there's only one church of of new testament christians in all of palestine hmm. and it is at nazareth okay and every one of the every one of them is an arabic speaker there's not a single jewish convert huh. all the bibles there are in arabic the sermon arabic and uh it's very weird, and there's only like 30 or 40 people in the one church in the whole country. And But Islam and Judaism are very prominent, yeah. not Christianity. Man. I Yeah, it's a strange thing to see all of it just mixed and commingled. And I mean, obviously not necessarily all getting along all the time, but in that same space. Um, there was one other picture you sent me that I wanted to, that I'll toss up and everything. But... It was, is it part of the temple or nearby the temple? Uh, the one of the road that you sent it, me. It, yeah, it is actually a, a first century street uh, from the time 
the great that built the temple in Jesus's day and mm. it is right under one of the entry gates to the ancient temple in the time of Jesus okay and it's extremely likely that Jesus himself was walking down that street and the apostles mm. and uh, you can look up from that street and you see high up the wall to where uh, the gates of the temple were, and it gives you a perspective. There's no way without being there that you can get perspective of how truly massive mm. the ancient temple and its mount were. Yeah. Um, this, Herod the Great used humongous stones, and what you see there looks like three little windows, I think, in that is part of an ancient arch. Okay. That had a staircase that went over the top of it and went way high above your head. Man. and entered into one of the gates of the temple. And this street was under that arch that entered into the temple. Mm. And we're talking way up into the sky. And um, there, I forget how many acres are in the plaza of the temple up there, but it's huge. Yeah. People stand that you get for miles, and it was massive, and it was like commanding everything. It was really grand beyond what we can even communicate on this. Well, I think that's when we read the, the stories in the Bible, when we read those passages about everyone being gathered together in the temple courts, you know, and, and even when Jesus went in and he's flipping tables and stuff, even when you look at a picture or a video description, I mean, it's like a little small, not even as big as like a church auditorium sort of space a lot of times. And we think, well, how could everyone have fit in there? And how could all of that stuff have been... But, yeah, when you really look at it, and for those who have been fortunate enough to go, it is huge. Yeah, and another thing we may be talking about in a different video, our mikvah, our immersion pools, just all over the place, bottom of the steps of the temple and all around, and they're big. And when you see all of those, that Jesus and before, it's like, Whoa! I never, I never realized how they could baptize so many people. But I mean, mm. there's after pool after pool, and they're just easy peasy for people yeah. to baptize jillions of people down. Now it might have cut out a little bit. What were those pools called again? They're each individual pool mikvah, a, a uh, an immersion pool. And okay. There's a whole uh, section in the mish mikvah oath. That's the plural it means immersion pools, but. Mm. All around the Temple Mount, you've got jillions of those. Very interesting. Yeah, we may have to talk about that another time. But I, w I think this is probably a good point to wrap it up for this video. Um, maybe by the time we're needing to do another one, we can actually be in the same room and everything. Uh, but definitely, once this one comes out... Sure. Sure. Do what? Look here. I'm pointing my finger out to touch you so that I can corona you. I'm going to give you the coronavirus right there. My goodness. To be clear, Dan does not have the coronavirus. <laughs> no, I do not. No, not not that we know of. Not that any. Anyway, it's one of those just. <laughs> the, <laughs> anyway, hopefully people hopefully people will find this interesting. I know that there's always a lot of questions about these spaces back in Israel uh, and in Palestine and various things that are connected to the history of the Bible, uh, of God's Word. So thanks for exploring we, this. We little... can say a whole lot more about it. Oh, I have no doubt. I, it's, 
I think it would be cool to actually get some of the other uh, people that went on the trip with you and get some of their responses and, and thoughts too. So maybe we'll do some of that along the way. I'm talking to the other camera too, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for sitting down with me, Dan. And we'll see everybody again soon. Bye. <laughs> okay, God bless. Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.